Hi there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, a safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys, and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time. Hear from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, as well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals in the maternal mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. I want to thank you for joining us on today's episode. We have a mom who is not new to this, <laughs> but has a new little one. And so we're so excited to have her on. And I want to extend to you before you share with us a little bit about yourself and your family, um, just how much I appreciate you taking the time to share with myself and listeners your beautiful story. Um, like I say to all moms, we all can learn from each other. So I'm definitely going to be listening out to some helpful things that I can put into my motherhood experience um, from your journey. So again, my full support, empathy, actively, all of that extended to you as you share. So without further ado, share with us a little bit about who you are, your family, and anything else that might help us to get to know you a bit better. Excellent. Well, thank you, Crystal. I'm very excited to be involved today. My name is Courtney Taylor Ale. Um, I reside in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, the Metroplex. I am a happy mother of two beautiful kids. I have a little boy who's five years old and a beautiful baby girl who will be four weeks old on Monday. I am married, been married for four years now. Um, and it is an amazing experience raising kids with a, a life partner and learning so much throughout the process. Um, I'm really excited to share the experiences that I have had with both of my pregnancies and, and being a mom and definitely uh, want to shed light on my experience because I know how important it is to share your testimony and your story to empower others and wish I had a platform like this um, in my first pregnancy to be able to hear stories and learn about uh, what other women have experienced to help empower um, myself as I have navigated through through motherhood. So um, thank you again for having me. And I am just really excited to, to talk and share. Yay! So am I. So am I. So let's jump in. Share with us a little bit about what it was like coming into motherhood with your um, five-year-old. You can start at any point okay. from you and your partner meeting each other, <laughs> um, wherever you'd like to start. But I'd love for you to start us off on that journey. Absolutely. So me and my husband, we met about um, six, going on seven years now um, in in Arlington, Texas, we were uh, actually doing online dating, which is funny because a lot of people have stories about online dating experience. And I happy, I'm happy to share that I had a, a pleasant experience. 
um, with meeting him and we we instantly had chemistry and I got along very well and I, I just it was it was God sent honestly we have had a really great relationship as friends um, as husband and wife and now as parents and uh, lo and behold, uh, within a few months, and at first I was ashamed to share this story with people. I'm no longer ashamed because I know how important it is for people to understand that nobody is perfect. Um, me and my husband had our son very early in our relationship. Uh, it was unexpected, not planned. Um, and we were uh, having to learn each other very, very quickly. And that shed light on what I was supposed to um, be growing into. I had the opportunity to learn my partner, learn about becoming a mother um, very, very quickly. And it, it was a lot of pressure. It was challenging. I'm not saying it was this, uh, the roses and, and butterflies experience for me. Um, we endured some hardships getting to know each other and navigating our relationship very early on while trying to raise and have a, a, a child. So um, in 2015, um, at the beginning, I found out that I was pregnant and I was a complete and utter shock. And my husband, his name is Chad. He was just so supportive. He was excited about becoming a father. Um, I was scared out of my mind. I was terrified to tell my parents because I was in Texas, brand new to Texas. I'm from South Carolina. Um, and being in Texas was something very new to me. I had moved here for my career. Uh, I was focused on me as an individual, not me as a mom, me as a wife. That wasn't what I had come to Texas for. So it, it was a complete and utter shock for me to transition so quickly into those responsibilities. And when I found out I was pregnant with my son, it, I, I did see my life take a complete and different change and having to navigate the medical system and um, learning what things I needed to do for work in order to make sure that I received my maternity leave and was treated fairly in the workspace due to my pregnancy. It, it was a lie. I was 24 years old at the time um, and I felt brand new to this world. Uh, I felt like almost like a rebirth, like I'm, I'm becoming while my child is growing inside of me. And I recognized very early on that I, there was a lot of things I was not privy to about um, medicine and being a, an advocate for yourself um, when you are going into your doctor's visits. And um, I remember an experience in particular with my husband and myself when we went to, we were still dating at the time, went for the initial ultrasound to learn um, how far along we were in the pregnancy with my, my son. And the ultra ultrasound technician did not treat us very well. And I, I was... I was hurt in that moment because she talked to us as if, oh, you should know this stuff or you didn't know that this was what you were going to see. And it's like, this is a very unexpected experience. I was not expecting to be talked to as if I was uh, a child. Um, I didn't appreciate her not taking into consideration that we are brand new to parenthood, even though we may be a little bit older in age, like we, we knew what, was was expected of the ultrasound, but we didn't understand like how to read an ultrasound. We didn't go to school for that. We hadn't been taught those things. So the way in which she spoke to us was really disrespectful. And and my husband and I agree. It's like this this wasn't a, a great experience. So I started to 
become more consciously aware of how I was being treated. Um, when I would go to doctor's appointments, uh, I had a great doctor. She was very sweet, but I also knew that she was uh, new to that particular hospital and um, being an obstetrician. And she had recently finished school. She was pregnant herself. So she had some empathy for my experience. I didn't feel like she was very thorough with me and explaining each, each aspect of my, um, my pregnancy. So that, that was very hard navigating that. And, um, my husband and I always would talk and I would try to read and learn more. But like I said, I was here in Texas by myself. I would consult with my mom when I could, but there's only so much that your extended family can do for you when you are thousands of miles away. Um, and you were just hopeful and trying to navigate that situation on your own. I didn't have a whole lot of people that I knew here. Or I didn't have any family here, still don't have any family in Texas. So, um, my husband and I really had to lean on each other big time throughout uh, having our son in order to fully understand what we uh, were getting ourselves into. Um, I remember my delivery day and my doctor never showed up at the hospital and I didn't understand what was going on. Um, the only person that was in the delivery room with me was a nurse um, and my husband and I, I never saw a doctor. I did not see a doctor until it was time for me to have a C-section. Um, I saw the anesthesiologist for my initial epidural. Um, when I was going into labor, I thought I was going to have a vaginal delivery, ended up having a C-section. Um, and that hospital experience was another experience where I said, I, I don't want to have any more kids. This is terrifying to me. I don't feel supported. I don't know how to advocate for myself. I don't know who to talk to in order to get the support that I need. I don't feel like the hospital staff took me serious or felt like I was going to be a sufficient parent. I think they treated me like I was a single mom. That's what the first thing that the label that I had on me because me and my husband were not married at the time. We didn't have the same last name. And everybody I talked to from the social worker to the nurses to um, any staff that came into our hospital room, I didn't I didn't feel supported. Um, and that that really traumatized me. And me and my husband talked about it over the course of time that uh, before we had our daughter about how we, we don't know if we want to have any more kids because I just did not have a pleasant um, experience with the medical system um, with my son and later on establishing that I wanted him to have a good doctor and we were able to find an amazing pediatrician for him um, to help be be the things that I was looking for for myself. Um, and I, I was able to advocate for my son and I have a, a great doctor for him. And uh, he's also the doctor for our daughter now. And um, yeah, that, that really set up, like set the tone for what I thought about becoming a mother again. I was not in favor of it um, because I did not want that experience again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, yes. I'll tell you, I have been sitting over here taking notes. Uh -huh. <laughs> I have questions, Courtney. Yes, um, go for it. Go for it. Yes. Uh, one, I can appreciate your transparency and you being open to, um, I'll go back to your words that you use, you know, empower, empowering another um, mom or parent that may be listening. I think it's so incredibly like, 
touching, like on a personal level, but also just on a humanistic level. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it's needed for us to be able to hear the stories of other people so that we can connect and like understand how we can grow within our own journeys. Right. Um, and feel validated in our experiences because your story resonates with me. And I know there are other listeners that are probably going to say the same thing for many different reasons. Mm -hmm. So let me jump in with a few of these. So you mentioned in the beginning, initially feeling ashamed Mm -hmm. because you got pregnant early on. Yes. So I am all about talk about these beliefs because where these <laughs> beliefs come from right right <laughs> so talk with me a little bit about like where do you think those beliefs be it internalized be it external like where do you think they originated from right. and if any do you think that those beliefs that kind of encouraged you to, you know, have that reaction of being ashamed about, you know, conceiving so early on. Mm-hmm. Do you think that in any way it affected how you um, initially entered into motherhood or parenthood? Absolutely. Um, I think there were a combination of some internal and external factors. Uh, I was not raised to believe that I was better than anyone. Um, My parents were teenage parents. So I already had that very, uh, I want to say internal view about what was expected of me. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents said they did get married after having me as teen, as teenagers and they raised their own family. I have three younger siblings and it was always something that was put on the forefront. Courtney should not be worried about boys and getting pregnant at a younger age. She needs to focus on school and graduating and pursuing her career. And that was always at the the forefront of my mind. Mm -hmm. Don't get pregnant. Don't before marriage. That was the biggest thing that was uh, placed to me from religious beliefs, from beliefs from my parents and how I was raised and just this mindset that you are not going to throw away your future because of pregnancy. And fast forward to 2015 and the shame resonated with me and there were some contributing external factors. I work with children. Mm -hmm. Um, I have been in a nonprofit youth serving world since I graduated from college in 2013. And one of the biggest things that we press is that you need to practice preventative measures to avoid pregnancy was was preaching the story about how you are supposed to protect yourself and um, avoid pregnancy until you're married uh, and why these things are important. And of course, things have changed. We've been more progressive in our messaging um, behind uh, pregnancy. Um, but I found myself in a very difficult and awkward situation. Um, I was working for Boys and Girls Club at that time. And I was having to explain to the teenagers that I was working with that I'm pregnant. They knew I was not married. They knew that um, that I was young, um, which technically from the background that I had, 24 is kind of older <laughs> for getting <laughs> pregnant. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I still consider myself to be young, young to the to the uh, adult world because I, like I said, I just moved to Texas the year before, um, and I was completely independent at that point. And I felt in that particular moment that I missed my calling by getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to be here, like I said, for my career and focusing on that. And now this situation has come into 
play and I have to switch gears. So having to tell my parents was definitely difficult because of that internal factor that had been instilled in me. Like, Courtney, you're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Then you are supposed to focus on looking for a husband. Then you have a child. Like the the societal (laughs) thought process of what um, the American dream is supposed to be or what your reality is supposed to be. And there is no there's no true way um, or simplified way in which to navigate uh, what milestones you hit at what time. And my children are blessings. Um, They helped me to grow up so, so much because I felt in some ways, and people will argue against me with this. I didn't feel like I was a responsible adult in the way that I should be. And I think that my son helped me to become more disciplined in a lot of the things that I I, uh, was not doing for Courtney. Um, so having, um, a baby and becoming more disciplined, just even in my routine and how I I go to sleep, like a child will put you into a routine, um, not navigating through work while I'm supposed to be at home, enjoying my family, setting boundaries on those things so that I can be fully present with my kids when I'm at home. Um, and that helped to build, um, a lot of discipline within me. So yeah, a lot of factors were uh, just what other people were going to think of me, what my parents were going to think, how I felt about myself were all contributing factors that created the shame that I had that I later let go of because there was nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody has their own human experience and it helped me be more um, of a human being for the kids that I was serving. Uh, I feel like I gained more respect being um, a mom, uh, working with those those teenagers in particular, um, because I was still learning them and, and navigating the relationship that I had with them. And I felt my maternal uh, my maternal instinct turn on when I did become pregnant and I was interacting with them. And you just see life so much differently when you you wear that um, wear that hat and. And I feel that that helped me to to strengthen the relationship that I had with them and also to work on um, the relationship that I wanted to have at home uh, with being a mom. So, yeah, those those were definitely those those factors that, that played a part. Yeah, you know, you provide an interesting perspective that I don't think we have ever covered on the podcast. And that is. um getting pregnant before marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, when I work with clients and this is not me about to put my therapist hat on, but <laughs> this is me saying that, you know, shame is such a defeating, debilitating type of feeling. Like you do feel in some ways, like you have absolutely done something wrong and I think the way that you phrased it when you mentioned it being a human experience, like that is that is the perfect way to to explain it. Mm-hmm. Because we all have moments where our situations or our experiences, even within motherhood, you know, right. even, even if we take away this specific example, within motherhood, we have experiences and we do not necessarily like the way that they go every time <laughs> our right. expectations of ourselves of situations may go off course 
Um, but that does not mean that we ourselves have done anything necessarily wrong. And exactly. so I think that's a wonderful message to take from this. Um, and I'm so, so thankful that you said that you have let that shame go, girl, because yes. <laughs> <laughs> you are so deserving of letting it go. So I'm so glad to hear you have said that. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes. I uh, wanted to ask also, you mentioned that you, before you were pregnant, you know, you had this intention of moving out to Texas to do mm-hmm. your work. And um, and then also, it also came about when you got pregnant, where you had this um, this thought or these challenges with coming around to the idea that now my life is going to shift. Mm-hmm. Talk with us a little bit about what things helped you to maybe accept that, okay, this is the way in which my journey is about to go now in terms of work, in terms of life in Texas, in terms of your dynamic with your partner now changing Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. Absolutely. I would say that um, I think some self-realization, acknowledging who I was as a person and what I was capable of. And and that was not a strong... um, thought that I was having is something that I'm reflecting on now and realizing that there were components of my personality and my being that helped me in being able to to tackle some of those shifts or challenges that I had to endure with work and my shift in my relationship and becoming a parent. And I will say that um, something that I am proud of is just my interest in being a responsible individual um, and it, it's a, a strength of mine. I'm confident in it. And I'm proud to talk about it. I know that's not something that everybody gets to wear, but in being able to share this uh, with other people, that's something that I did recognize within myself and knew I had to step up. And in doing so, I'll speak from the perspective of work. Um, I knew that with uh, parenthood and, and, and navigating it and knowing that I did not have um, an advocate or anyone to advocate for me, um, I took it upon myself to do some research. Uh, I'm really big on going on parenting or parenthood.com or um, so many different websites for parenting and just learning about milestones. And um, this year, I I know I got the opportunity to use a um, pregnancy tracking um, app on my phone, which was extremely helpful, but not having that and knowing a whole lot about that about six years ago, um, I was doing research. I was online weekly, daily, looking up information on the milestones that I should be experiencing as a pregnant woman. Uh, What should I be noticing about my changing body? What should I be noticing about how my baby is growing inside of me? And helping myself to understand like, okay, this is why I'm feeling this way, or this is why my appetite has changed, or this is why I am not getting enough sleep. Maybe I should consider um, taking a nap during this time. So that helped me to uh, think about what I needed to do when it came to work. I would take advantage of my lunch breaks to take naps because I knew that if I didn't, then I wasn't going to get any sleep. And at that particular point in time, I lived less than 10 minutes away from um, work. So I would drive home sometimes on my lunch break, eat a sandwich and and pass out and be back up in time enough to make it back to the to the office so that we were ready for kids. And um, I, I will say that my supervisor at that time was very understanding um, and very empathetic to my situation and 
uh, would allow me the time that I needed. If I did wasn't feeling well because of morning sickness, um, he said, we don't see kids until the afternoon. If you need the morning to get readjusted, stay at home and then come into the office um, because we want you to be fully present and prepared for, for the arrival of the kids. So I would definitely take advantage of that. Um, and conversations that I was having with the students. So I work primarily with teenagers at that particular point in time, 13 to um, 18 years old. And I had to shift some of the boundaries that I had lacked in uh, when I initially met them. I had started that job in 2014 and I was going into a year or about six months, uh, so to speak, in um, working with them. And I had to shift some of the um, boundaries that I had set with conversations and um, helping them understand what I was going through and providing some transparency on motherhood because a lot of them that was their first time ever seeing somebody pregnant or they didn't fully understand what pregnancy was um, or their understanding of pregnancy was uh, limited to um, certain family members or teenagers because these, these kids were going to school with, with students who were pregnant. They didn't fully understand like what are the varying perspectives or experiences that people are having. So answering questions and being transparent with them, also keeping in mind that there are some things that their parents don't want them to know. So I need to be mindful of the things that I'm saying to them so that they aren't getting um, mixed reviews on what what's going on here. So I was... Uh, really connecting within my community to bring in professionals and experts in um, in certain conversations, especially for our, our teen girls on navigating their bodies. And we brought in nursing students and um, uh, specialists that come in and talk to them about their ever-changing bodies um, and share with them uh, from a professional's perspective, because I was no expert by any means other than being a new mom and what to expect from their bodies as they are going through puberty and what life will be like through pregnancy and just getting them to understand um, what was going on with them. So I had to shift my education to them um, to make sure that they were uh, getting truthful information because you and I both know that when you are in high school or even in middle school, that everybody has their own story Absolutely. about what's going on mm -hmm. and um, it's not always the truth. And, I did not want them to have that same experience that I had. So I wanted to connect them and having that space within Boys and Girls Club to be able to provide them with um, great education, their parents being open to them getting certain information. We always have our parents consent to uh, anything that we are educating our, our students on, especially when we're talking about um, something that's so touchy, such as the body. Um, we want them to fully understand and engage. And I had programs for our boys too. They needed to understand what was going on from that perspective. So a lot of um, responsibility on my end and understanding like, what do they know? What do they need to know? And how do I provide those resources for them? So I would say that's definitely the piece that had to come into play for um, the workplace with um, home, uh, becoming a mom, building a relationship with my husband. We uh, ended up moving in together. Um, I believe it was about four months after we found out we were pregnant. Um, and he, he was just a really disciplined person himself. And I think that helped for us because he was already thinking about um, how we could save money and how to split the doctor's bills and uh, things that you don't think about when you're pregnant um, or what pregnancy in, entails. Like there are, there's a lot of money that goes into that. 
Um, and that's part of the reason why it is discouraged for young people to to navigate down that path, because that is not something that is always affordable for everybody. Even people who are older, um, you don't always have the means to take care of those bills that come into play. So I am very, very appreciative that I have him as a life partner because his discipline helped to um, pan out my own discipline and how to save money, um, something that I was not very great at. Um, at that particular point in my life, uh, fresh out of college a year and enjoying the life of Texas, I was having the time of my life. And now I'm having a baby and I need to cut down on the time of my life so that we can bring in a life. And he helped me in being able to do that. And we bought a house um, the month that our son was born. Like it was just crazy how quickly life was happening um and i am still living in that house today like this is this is our home and i i just love that we we had that experience It, it was definitely challenging um getting used to somebody else's way of doing um he like i said he was more a lot more disciplined he's uh about five and a half years older than me um and he had his way of thinking about life and how things were supposed to be done in a more mature way than I was thinking about it. So having that helped me, even though it did uh, challenge me a lot Um, and just navigating through uh, parenthood and understanding what I needed to do for my child. Like I said, I had to set those boundaries between work and life and there's no true work life balance. I, I learned that you balance work and life together and you just you just set up some some boundaries. You say, OK, these are the things that I'm going to do when mm-hmm. I am home. These are the things that I'm going to do when I'm at work. And, and when you learn how to keep those things in, in at bay and um, not allow those things to uh to break you down because they're going to cross paths. You're going to show up to work one day and you're going to be frustrated from a conversation that you had at home, or you're going to come home. You're going to be frustrated from a conversation or situation that took place at work. That's real. How do I navigate this situation? How do I come to terms with it? How do I find peace with it so that I can be present? And that's something that took a lot of time. I'm no master. Even to this day is something I'm still working on. But I do feel that I am in a much better place now than I was um, starting out and being able to to set those boundaries. Um, an example that I can share is uh, when I would not have the greatest uh, interactions, me and my husband were learning each other, um, what we liked and disliked about each other. And this is a reality, another transparent moment here. Um, about how we did things at home and you get frustrated and I would come to work and I would be upset about certain conversations that we, that I would have, but I would remind myself like, okay, this is not where I need to address it. I need to address it with that person when I get back home. We're not going to text about it while I'm at work. We're not going to have conversations during my breaks about it. We will talk about it when we get home because that's, that's the time for it. So when I set that boundary for our relationship and he accepted that boundary it helped tremendously um with being able to be present at work and then and when I got home I was able to be fully present and having the conversation I I feel like we have really great communication skills because of it and we have been a part of uh therapy and helping to strengthen our relationship and um that the communication piece is so vital. And I, even if you're not married to your partner, 
therapy is so helpful in helping you to learn how to talk to each other because that that's the root of it. You have to you have to be able to talk to that person. And I I think that was something that allowed me to to make some shifts too. Um, and navigating through relationship in my home life uh, is having that that reality check that um, if you don't know how to talk to each other, then this is not going to to work in your favor. So you have to be open to it. Um, you have to be willing. And and I think that that's something that both of us have grown in and allowed ourselves to embrace and give each other grace when we are growing in that way to to be better communicators. Yeah. Oh, Courtney, you are dropping gems left and right. (laughs) Gems left and right. One thing that I want to say is it definitely sounds like although this was an unexpected, I'll use your word, an unplanned shift Mm -hmm. um, within your life and within your husband's life that the two of you identified, it sounds like, although humps and bumps along the way, pretty mm-hmm. early on that values, your perspective, boundaries, mm-hmm. your expectations, all of those things also take a shift, not just a physical being right. being present now, but all of those things are incredibly important to you sort of walking into this new life together and integrating mm-hmm your lives and merging them um, right. with a new little one. And I think it's so valuable in, in the message that I got from your sharing is that those values that that look different don't have to necessarily be a bad thing, right? right. Like sometimes we look at unexpected, unplanned events and we think, oh my goodness, this is going to set me off course. And it right. almost sounds like these things helped you align more to who Courtney wanted to be. That's mm-hmm. what it sounds like. Yes. And I think that is a really great way to put it. And I didn't realize it in those moments. It was, I cannot lie, pure frustration, lots of tears, lots of moments where I wanted to give up and just say, you know what? I don't think that I should be in a relationship trying to have a child, or I don't think that I can have this job and be a mom at the same time. There were so many moments where I second guessed who I was um, because you don't fully know until you get on the other side of the experience. And something that I'm embracing right now that has, I know everybody struggles with this is the discomfort of growth. And it is, it was truly, truly a, an experience and challenge. Uh, I remember um, a particular situation um, where I woke up in the middle of the night and I went into the, the bathroom and I just broke down and started crying. And my husband, he got up out of the base, like Courtney was wrong. Is everything okay? And I was just explaining to him, like, I don't think I'm doing this right. I don't think I'm doing this motherhood thing right. I don't think I'm being a good partner to you. I don't know how I'm able to do this and work at the same time. Like, this is not working for me. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Why does this hurt so bad? Why do I feel this way? And I am almost in tears right now thinking back on it because that was like my moment of of, of realization that if I am able to comprehend that this is 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 bothering me, then there is, and somebody is consoling me and saying that it's going to be okay and cares enough to ask me what's going on. Like I, I'm right where I'm supposed to be at. And I don't know too many people that get the opportunity to say that. And it helped me to really 
really acknowledge gratitude and to be gentle with myself. And I think that those things are things that I embrace this point in in my life with becoming a mom again is be gentle. You're not going to get it right every single time, even a a mom the second time around. I I still did not know what I was doing fully. I had a better understanding, but there were things that had changed from six years ago that I didn't fully understand. And I allowed myself to, to be ignorant. Like you don't have to know it. That's okay. You can ask questions. You you can allow yourself to not know and embrace the discomfort of not knowing and be grateful that you have somebody that you can talk to about it and that will listen to you and will embrace the the hardships that you're having. I still cry. I still have moments where it's like, man, this is frustrating. Like I am not sleeping. I am not cleaning up my house the way I'm supposed to, but it's okay. And sometimes I, I love this. I don't, I don't have the, the exact words for it. So I'm going to paraphrase. Like, it's okay to have moments of, of frustration and disappointment. But don't, don't pack up your bags and move there. You can go visit, mm-hmm. but don't, don't make it a permanent residency. Yeah. You, you have to acknowledge your feelings. You have to express your emotions. And sometimes I have to allow myself to just cry it out because sometimes I forget to cry. It's like, it's okay. Yeah. Cry, get it out of your system. You're not perfect. And that's okay. And I have to, could constantly remind myself that it is okay. Yeah. You know, I one want to say thank you, Courtney, for mm-hmm. I mean being open to one sharing your own personal examples, but also like challenging us in some ways to reflect on our own experiences. Mm-hmm. But then going a step further by challenging us to also, <laughs> I'm going to use your words, be gentle with ourselves. Another word might be show ourselves some some grace or some self-compassion mm-hmm. um, because you're right. Like we are not going to get it right every time, like not in motherhood, not in our marriage, not in our personal life, in our professional right. life and giving ourselves an opportunity, the permission to have these moments where you are present in your grief if it's grief in your frustration what in your anger and your sadness your disappointment whatever it is that you allow yourself to stay there and yes do not let it have permanent residency <laughs> right <laughs> I, i'm 100 with you and i think sometimes when we experience these difficult emotions sometimes even these difficult thoughts that we have it sends us the message that okay this this is what it is then this is the outcome this is this is all of what motherhood is going to be for me or this is mm-hmm. all what my marriage is like now that we have a little and i encourage everyone to like listen to these messages that Courtney and like other moms who have come on who are saying uh-huh. um that encourage us to realize recognize that we have an opportunity to go a step further. You can sit in that moment, but you can also actively decide to pick yourself up because everything around you says, Hey, like this moment is temporary. Like if if I can think back (laughs) in my own moment of transparency, even the dynamic between me and my husband, since we had miles, like Uh our relationship has shifted and it took, 
like we're we're in marriage counseling now. Like we right. we um took a moment a few weeks back and we were like, man, like we really thought that our life would be different and mm-hmm. it is. And I think that that growth piece that you mentioned about growth being uncomfortable and this area of uncertainty or not knowing or a gray period, it can feel so stifling. But if you allow yourself to see an alternative, it could also be an alternative where you see how far you have come. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when you mentioned gratitude, it is very, very... um, just a constant reminder of how sweet and how beautiful our journeys are if we give ourselves permission to take that pressure off, to take Absolutely. that expectation, to have, you know, everything in order, everything to be aligned, because it, it does work out, because things mm-hmm. have worked out before. I think exactly. That. So I really appreciate that reminder. Um, and I echo everything that you say. I, I also am like, yeah, no, you cry. I cry too, Courtney. Like <laughs> this is a journey we are all on. And I think that's the important thing to like remind ourselves and listeners is that like you can, you can have it together today and tomorrow everything hit the fan. Like it really you know will. What I mean? It like, will. And, and it's okay. <laughs> and it's okay. And it's okay because stuff has hit the fan before. Right. I think that's the piece that we sometimes forget when we're in the thick of it. Exactly. I can tell you, Miles is a toddler and sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, like when will he stop crying in the car? <laughs> when will he stop crying? I'm like, we're just going to Kroger. Why are you having a meltdown? Exactly. Yes. Oh, um, yes. and then I remember like, okay, Crystal, like you also need to calm down because uh-huh. he was calm. He regulated his mood. The last time we were in the Carter Kroger, and I think we forget that, like, okay, this situation is so temporary right now. Mm-hmm. We have been through it before. He has gotten it together. I have gotten it together. Recalling on those tools that have gotten you through before is so right. important. So, right. Yeah, thank and, you and so you, much. You did a great job explaining that. Like, we've been here before. I don't know how we forget. I <laughs> Well, and you know, in some ways, Courtney, it's so uh-huh. interesting we're talking about this because I had a client this week and we sort of touched on this with her situation. But in some ways, it's a protective factor, right? True. Like we, it's difficult for us to remember because we we don't want to be in this place. And so like we don't take ourselves back to situations that have been difficult because we don't want to experience That's true. This, this yeah, is very true. So we try and safeguard ourselves from anything and- you know, what ends up happening is we have suppressed emotions and thoughts as opposed to, again, just allowing yourself to sit with it. Absolutely. Um, you, it you're so right. That actually reminded me of something. I'm really big on Brene Brown right oh, now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm reading a book right now called Dare to Lead and mm-hmm. the and Vulnerability. Yep. That's my word of the year. Um, and something that she brought up is that we sometimes can be the thief of our own joy Mm -hmm. and, um, we won't allow ourselves to have moments where we acknowledge that it is going to be okay or that everything's going great. And I, I found myself, um, when, right before I was supposed to have my daughter, um, and thinking about the days leading up to my scheduled C-section and all I kept thinking about is all the things that could go wrong. And how unhealthy that was for me. And remembering from the text that I was reading that, how about you just embrace that everything can go right? 
and recognize that it that if something does go wrong, that it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That eventually you'll get past that that step. And I had to forcibly allow myself to say, okay, everything's going to be good. We're going to have a healthy baby girl. My surgery is going to go well. Like I had to continue to do those things and just allow those negative, um, not allow those negative thoughts to take uh take ownership of, of my thinking patterns like I needed to allow myself to, to challenge, uh, challenge it yeah, yeah basically what had to happen and, and sometimes we get in a place where we won't allow the repetition of okay this went right and this was good so why am I putting myself in a position to think like this is a horrible thing it's not it's going to be okay yeah. and and you can enjoy this moment and and be appreciative of of what's coming about Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so interesting. I and I promise we are about to move on to the next question. No but problem. <laughs> it's so good. So it made me actually think about so there's this um this theory, it's acceptance and commitment theory act. And there's an aspect of it that talks about urge surfing. And when I talk about urge surfing in my private practice with clients, I talk about it in terms of that emotion coming to you and you literally writhing on your surfboard, that emotion as if it was a wave and you are riding it out. You're not letting it drift you any further than you need it to be. You're not trying to get back to shore, but you are riding it. But you know, it will eventually flatten out. You know right. what I mean? Like a- allow yourself to do that. Right. Um, and it's, oh gosh, it's so important as opposed to giving in to it and letting it take you down far out deep into sea, which sometimes we do that because our right. thoughts can sometimes spiral. They can sometimes tell you, you know, your toddler's never going to have a consistent right. meal or <laughs> you're always going to be this horrible mom or right. just something that is completely off base from, again, aligned right. with how you want to see yourself and the way in which you want your situation to go. So. Courtney, we can go on and on on this one topic. Right. I'm going to move on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you also mentioned that um, you had some navigating to do with work in the medical system. And I know that when I had Miles, I, listen, I thought that people just went into the hospital. And keep in mind now, I work in a hospital system right. in the NICU on the women's floor. And so I knew <laughs> a ton, but I didn't realize how much this cost. I also didn't realize right. like that I would have to jump through hoops to be able to ensure that I was still getting paid, that I still had a job. Right. And so talk to us a little bit about maybe how your experience was with navigating the unknown around the systems, whether it be um, work or whether it be, you know, medical. Absolutely. So I, I can speak from, from this and compares, comparing the two experiences of being a mom with, with my son, Aiden, and now my daughter, Serena, that um, the second time around, I felt like I did a much better job of, of reading um, and going to learn more. And I, I work now for an organization that is uh, primarily focused on girls. And our entire team is of women. 
my supervisor had a son a couple of years ago and she was so excited when she found out that I was pregnant. She's like, Courtney, I'm here for you. If you have any questions about what to do for work in order to make sure that you um, take enough leave and that you get your short-term disability and um, how your insurance is going to work. Like she, we would use my one-on-ones to talk about those things. And I am so grateful for her because she didn't have to do that. Mm -hmm. She didn't have to uh, take her own experience and and use it to make sure that I had an even better one. Um, and she didn't say that her experience was difficult or anything like that, but just her uh, just being willing to it's like, I want you to have a good experience with your maternity leave and with everything that needs to happen. So she she explained it to me. Now, when I was pregnant with my son, um, it was mixed gender experience at work it was males and females and the the hr team was not educating people on what to do to get their short-term disability or how many weeks you should take for maternity leave i went and researched all of that stuff myself and i honestly don't think that it should have just been me like i'm thinking about and this is me now working on the other side of that if one of my employees comes to me and says, Courtney, I am expecting a child and I, I don't know what to do, or this is my first child and I need to, I'm, I'm going to tell them everything that I can to help support them. Yeah. That was not offered to me. Um, I asked all of the questions about, okay, it says in the handbook that I get six weeks. I didn't know I could take more if I wanted to. If I had saved the money up, I didn't know that there was a, I could use short-term disability. Nobody ever talked to me about short-term disability at my previous job, and I didn't use it. And so I limited myself on the amount of time. And, and I will say this, it is completely up to that, that family, that parent, the partners, what they decide to do um, in regards to how long of a leave they like to take. For me, uh, for my first child, I took six weeks. This particular pregnancy, uh, or excuse me, um, this particular uh, postpartum experience, I'm, I'm doing 10 weeks because that's what I thought was necessary for me. And even going back to work, I'm, I'm going to take two weeks of part-time. I will not be going back into work full-time until I'm at the 13th week. And I am glad that I thought of those things and had support this time because I wasn't thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, even with if going into the hospital and, and scheduling appointments and I, I did better research around what doctor I wanted. Um, for me, being a woman of color, being a black woman, I wanted a black doctor this time. Why? Because I felt like she could speak to whatever experience I was going to have mm -hmm. in, in the hospital um, and through each one of my appointments. And I can tell you there was a tremendous difference between when I had my son and when I had my daughter and what my experience was with the hospital and through every doctor's appointment. And I definitely felt way more supported this time uh, with Serena and her delivery. Um having a much better breakdown and explanation of what responsibilities I was going to have financially, mm -hmm. understanding payment processes and how I could schedule payments. Um, I, I found myself in debt when I had my son because mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And 
being afraid like are they really going to apply this to my credit like you're not you're not thinking about that stuff you're you're 24 years old you're just out in the world and mm-hmm. you don't understand credit you don't understand things being on your record and having to dispute things and filing claims with your insurance i didn't understand that stuff and like i said nobody explained that to me and i don't honestly think that they knew themselves enough to explain it to me but I definitely can say that my my current supervisor um, explained everything about the deductible for my insurance and what that would look like with paying my medical bills and it's like you know you can uh, set up payment plans you don't have to try to save up a lot of money right now to try to pay everything off it's like do what's necessary for you and your family and um, let us know if you need time off and things of that nature. So I, I think I approached it a lot better this time because I had the the experience the first time where my ignorance um, put me in some situations that, that did not feel good. It was painful having to clean up um, the debt that I was in. I got out of it and am thankful for that. But now everybody gets to have that experience. So now Knowing that and knowing that's not what I want to have happen this go around, I think that I did a much better job of asking the right questions, uh, finding out, talking to whoever the billing office is with your your obstetrician, um, talking with the hospital, uh, contacting the the billing services and finding out, like, how much is this going to cost? Did you apply my insurance correctly? Because I had a conversation last week. It's like, I have a secondary insurance and you did did not apply that. And I gave the card to the person that I spoke with during my pre-op and I don't see it apply here. So knowing those things, like who, who teaches you that you have to have an advocate. You have to have somebody who has experienced that before to be able to tell you like, Hey, remember you have a savers card and you can use that to Mm -hmm. balance out the amount of money that Mm -hmm. your insurance did not cover because doctor's bills are expensive and there's no polite way to say that. Um, having you because you're not only covering the the bills that you have for yourself, you have to pay for that little child being born, mm-hmm. um, and those bills add up very very quickly. And if you are not careful and you are not educated on those things, then you will find yourself um, overwhelmed. And and that definitely played a, a huge uh, factor, even though my husband was helping out with the bills and he, he's much more calm and uh, nonchalant when it comes to certain things like that. But for me, I was on edge like I don't like debt. I don't mm-hmm. want a bad credit score. I don't want this showing up on my credit. I have things that I aspire to do and to purchase in the future. I don't want these things to live here. So how do I how do I clean this up? And he was a, a big help. It's like, hey, set up payment plans, call them, ask them how you how what's the minimum that you can pay yeah. so that you can stay on track and these things won't negatively impact your credit because that that's what ends up happening um with those medical bills and um yeah, I, I just I took it upon myself this time to make sure that I just opened my mouth and asked the questions that needed to be asked because um, it was necessary for me to feel like I had all of the information that I needed to uh, to be prepared 
um, for what was expected because that helped me know how much money I needed to save. How much PTO did I need to save up? How do I set up my short-term disability so that I am um, prepared for the time off? So that helped me come up with the number of 10 weeks. Um, And like I said, that's probably not the case for everybody. Some people need more time off. Some people need less time off because they need to get back to work. So I think that it is very important for you to 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 get that calculator out and get that paper and pencil out and and do the math and um and talk to the the human resources department um like I said I work with a team of all women and they've all had various stories and situations and they um were transparent with me and gave me lots of advice and feedback and checked in that's so important having them check in to make sure like hey did you get your short-term disability set up hey, um, we're going to set up this and that. My director of operations, she's called me and checked in with me. It's like, hey, did you get your check? Did you get this? Um, Hey, we're going to deduct this out so you can continue to have your insurance in place. Do you want me to send you a breakdown of things? Like those conversations are so important. And if nobody is talking to you, then you probably need to reconsider your place of employment because those conversations should be happening. Um, you should not be in a place where you're not being supported as a mother because that is a that is a part of your your um your personality that's a part of your being when you do become pregnant you're now a mother you're not just an employee of that company and they need to make sure that they are acknowledging that and and what they're doing to ensure that you want to stay at work because if they if you don't feel valued there um and they're not making you feel feel valued then you're less likely to want to stay um, so I appreciate the the women that I work with and them being such huge advocates and following up and checking in with me to make sure that everything was going according to plan as far as uh, medical um, bills were concerned and, and making sure that I was on track. That was so important. And even being a, a mom a second time around and having that experience, I knew what I was supposed to be looking for, but just their reassurance helped me. Um, tremendously. Yeah. And I think that's also an incredible message that we can take from your story and your journey is that informational support is just as valuable as physical support, emotional, financial support. We, and we sometimes forget about how incredibly important that is. Um, And I, I can even share that my own experience I was not the best at managing all of that, you know, right. and it could have been because of, um, you know, how overwhelmed I was. It could have been because I suffered from a little PPA or postpartum anxiety. Um, it could have been a number of things, but I myself was not the best at managing all of that. And I think a lot had to do with the fact that I wasn't privy to that information. A lot of that is my own responsibility. Um, but I don't think we set up moms in right. general who are first timers, um, how to prepare for these things. How Absolutely. Yes, so it, it is. That. Really Absolutely. Do. Absolutely. I do not think that, uh, that we get that information um, early enough. And it may not be everybody's um, ministry. Mm-hmm. to become a parent but it's still nice to have access right. to the that piece of information like you said in order to feel validated in whatever d- direction you choose to go yeah yeah it's all it's all i mean when we think about the scope of 
you know, motherhood from preconception to having a baby and taking it home postpartum. I mean, it's literally like, here, here's your baby. Like, here, right. here's your bill. And then, exactly. But there's no, like, there are no resources there. Or they're, they're out there, but, like, where can people go and get them? And so right. I can appreciate um, when we have active conversations like this where we are mm-hmm. able to share our own experiences that may help someone else. I mean, you drop um, a couple of gems when you talked about um, Parenthood Magazine. I have mm-hmm. dropped resources um, you also mentioned like specifically going and talking to your your HR person or your your boss about it or the hospital liaison and their financial advisor. Um, all of those things are incredibly important. Courtney, I wanted to ask you, what do you think um, if you could look at your birth story with Serena and with your sweet son, what do you think may have been the biggest um I guess, awakening or awareness that you found yourself at since having your second child? I would say, um, in, in dealing with gestational diabetes, mm-hmm. I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes this pregnancy, um, I believe it was in the end of February, and coming to terms with, I probably had this my last pregnancy. And did not know and was not properly diagnosed in the last pregnancy. And the things that I was talking to, I I had a specialist. I went to a perinatal um, doctor for uh, the bulk of my pregnancy um, this time around and had weekly ultrasounds and weekly meetings with diabetic specialists. Um, to fully understand my diet and everything like that. I was, I had to check my blood sugar every day, um, track my meals. Um, I had to take insulin. Like it was a complete and utter change from what I, my, my life before pregnancy, um, and my life during my previous pregnancy, I didn't, I didn't endure those things, but I did learn in conversations with my doctor and, um, the specialist that I was going to that I probably had gestational diabetes my last pregnancy. And here's what I knew to possibly be the reason why. My son was taken out of my arms at the hospital and to the NICU. And I was told that he had low blood sugar and they were going to have to monitor it. Nobody told me what that meant. What in the world does low low blood sugar mean? Mm. What am I supposed to be doing? How could I have done, what could I have done differently in order to avoid this? nobody said a word and I remember that was probably the biggest thing that set me off about like I'm not having another child Mm -hmm. because nobody told me what happened my son was nine pounds seven ounces so clearly there were some some things that I was not doing on my end um health-wise because my baby was huge and and it was probably gestational diabetes and um, I could not have a vaginal delivery because he was so big, but I did. And nobody told me. I didn't know in my doctor's appointments with my obstetrician that my uh, that my son was that large. Um, I hadn't been referred to a specialist to monitor what was going on. So 
and having that experience this time around and my doctor just being so particular, like when I explained to her, um, hey, my son was nine pounds, seven ounces. He had low blood sugar. I had to have a C-section. It's like, okay, there's a possibility that you're probably going to have gestational diabetes this time. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to like shoo it off. Like I'm going to eat the right way and I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And there was no way for me to avoid it. It happened. And it's like, okay, be at peace with it. It, it was hurtful to learn about it. Um, I remember having that, that conversation with the diabetic specialist and her handing me all of these different documents, tracking my blood sugar and my meals. And I cried right after I left the doctor's office. I went to my car and I just cried. And I remember calling a, a very good friend and telling her about it. She's like, she had no idea what I was dealing with. Anything about gestational diabetes, I told her, I know you're going to listen. So you do not have to be an expert in this moment. I just need to vent right. because this is frustrating for me and I, I just need to get it off my chest. And she allowed me to cry and talk. And by the end of that conversation, I was no longer in tears. She said, Courtney, you sound better. Um, I'm glad we were able to talk. I appreciate you calling me and I appreciated her listening. So having having that support system during that process this time around was just very helpful and um and, and difficult all in, in the same in the same breath. I um I had to navigate my pregnancy a lot differently this time. I had to be even more disciplined. I thought I was disciplined last time. This time I really had to be disciplined. I had to be very, very aware of what I was putting in my body um, because I was not breaking down sugars. So that meant certain breads I couldn't eat. I definitely could not have any, um, any uh, desserts or sweets. I, um, having to take the insulin was terrifying for me because I didn't do not like needles. Um, and I, I think all of these realities came into place the second time around, but having the support, I cannot say that enough of the doctors, of the specialists, of my friends, my family, my husband, that alone was beneficial in me having a much better experience this time around with Serena in comparison to Aiden, um, with that pregnancy, because, um, I felt like people cared. Mm -hmm. I felt like when I went to talk to my diabetic specialist, like she truly cared about the changes that needed to happen and explained to me like, Hey, Courtney, I see that you ate this. Maybe you should consider um, an alternative. Maybe you should think about trying this type of uh, barbecue sauce versus this one. When you have your brisket or whatever the case may be, just simple things like that. She didn't have to tell me. She could have simply told me that, I was uh, not on track and sent me on my way, mm -hmm. but she would talk to me and provide me with additional resources. She would pull out samples of different brands of, of tortillas to share an example um, where they may have been multi-grain versus having whole grain and, and helping me understand like the importance of paying attention to those labels, things that you think you know about until you're in the heat of it. And you realize maybe I have not been paying enough attention to this stuff. Um, but just, she was gentle with me and did not make me feel like I was ignorant in any way, shape or form. Um, she, she allowed me to have those moments where I could learn and, I felt like it was a good experience despite the gestational diabetes and thankful that Serena did not have low blood sugar. Um, her, her blood sugar checked out very well. And had they not 
prepared me and and um, used my last experience to help me um, navigate through this particular uh, pregnancy, then I may have been misdiagnosed again. So I appreciate them putting on those lenses and paying attention to what was going on so that I was prepared for for this experience. Yeah, you know, one thing that I can appreciate and that I can um, take into my own experience as Joey and I continue to grow our family in the future is the importance of advocating for yourself once you know. And it, it it's, I want to use the word sad, so I'm going to use it. Uh-huh. I feel like sometimes it is, it's sad that we get to a point to where we're in a crisis type situation or something has happened that is, or could have been avoided. Mm-hmm. And then now we're like, oh yeah, yeah. You know, like where is the preventative measures right. that are taken beforehand to help educate um and the help just in general, like bring comfort, even thinking about your experiences, Miles is at the door, sorry. <laughs> even thinking about your, I hear his dad like trying to like get him really fast. <laughs> but even hearing his, your experience of not being treated fairly, you mentioned that early on and just how that was even different. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, sad that we have to even experience these types of right. things. Um, especially within a system that has been around forever. Exactly. <laughs> you know, when we think about maternal care, I mean, people have been birthing babies since before we had hospital. It's like, right. when are we going to get together as a society and like treat women birthing people the way that they should be treated and right. give them the care that they deserve? Um, Absolutely. So I appreciate you nudging us with that reminder of being advocates of ourselves and for Mm -hmm. our littles as well. I heard you mention that with the pediatrician that you selected for your children. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, Courtney, whether or not you think that your husband, you mentioned support and the significance of that. Do you think that your husband um, has reflected on his own experiences from a father's lens? Um, of how everything has transpired between Dylan's birth and Serena's birth, and even you um, having to go through both of those experiences. Um, I, I think he has. And I say that because he was had a very interesting lens about what parenthood was going to look like uh, when we had Aiden um, back in 2015 and I remember we were talking with um, some friends of ours and he already had his mind like the baby's gonna be on this schedule for sleeping and all this stuff I said you you keep that mindset and when the baby gets here I want to see if your perspective changes and very early on he recognized that sleep was not an option um, and that that was not a reality for for a newborn child and that sleep is something that will come with time. And I thought that was so funny just listening to him um, talk about what what that was going to even look like and how he was so adamant. It's like, okay, once we reach this milestone, he's ready for the next milestone. It's like, I'm ready for him to walk. I'm ready for him to talk. I'm ready for him to do this. And as we get to those milestones, he's like, maybe I shouldn't have rushed it. <laughs> maybe I should have been appreciative of that moment where he couldn't do these things yeah. just yet. Those so I definitely, <laughs> yes, yes. So 
we now with Serena, I, I definitely see some tenderness from him that I didn't necessarily see um, with Aiden and, and no fault of his own. He just, we just didn't know what we were doing. And he is embracing the, the early stages a little bit more. He, he's not trying to rush to the next milestone and um, even just getting him to recognize the importance of the skin to skin and her being comfortable with him because I am nursing uh, primarily and that I have witnessed from being a, a sibling, my mother nursing my sisters um, and how hard of a transition that was for my dad and him not being able to have that connection with my sisters because they hadn't had any skin to skin. And it's not because he didn't know how it's just that he didn't know. Um, and knowing that for my own uh, relationship and, and how we navigated parenthood, I knew how important that was for him. It's like, Hey, like, we're going to make sure that Serena is with you and on your chest and hanging out with you. Like, even if it's just for me to go take a shower, like as soon as you get home, you get your shower, you eat. I have no problem, none whatsoever handing the baby off because I just know how important that is for me to have just a moment of peace sometimes. Um, And he has embraced it wholeheartedly. And I am, I'm, very I'm happy to sit back and kind of watch him this second time around it's like you are a different person I've told him like you're doing things differently this time and it's so cute uh, just seeing him and I know the relationship is definitely different from a son and a daughter um with with dad and him and my husband my son uh, Aiden have such a, a beautiful relationship and um continues to maintain that relationship but I definitely see how this relationship is going to be different as it should be, as it is his his daughter. Um, But just the tenderness is definitely there. Um, And I think he's, he's doing a a much, a much better job of, of allowing those intimate moments to happen and embracing them um, in comparison to wanting to rush to the next milestone with Ada. Yeah. Yeah. I want to delve deeper into just the dynamics of, um, relationship changes that may have occurred. And you mentioned like, um, uh, what is it called? You mentioned like needing that moment. And so giving baby over to dad. And so Mm -hmm. we are going to continue talking about that in part two. So, um, I'm really excited to have you on again, hopefully next week so that we can continue your birth story and where you are in motherhood and all the amazing and beautiful things that you um, are experiencing and are sharing with us so that we can hopefully take on some of those incredible gems as well. So um, for part one, I want to just say, oh my goodness, this has been great. And like literally because we have to have a part two is because of how amazing this is. (laughs) Um, I want to thank you, Courtney, for being transparent and just being open to, like you said, empowering and validating moms and birthing people and dads and parents who may Mm hear this and think that their experience is unusual because it's not, not at all. And all of us have our own beautiful individual stories that, you know, are so significant to us 
um, but also can be powerful to others as well. So I appreciate you so much. I really appreciate you too, Crystal. It has been a pleasure and I'm looking forward to part two. Thank you so much, Courtney. All righty. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. As always, it's important for me to know that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician. If you are experiencing a life-threatening emergency, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. You can also find additional resources on episode two, one being postpartum.net, where you can get connected with support groups, as well as therapists, psychiatrists, other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two. Thank you.